If you're growing a business or just thinking about launching a startup, this is definitely the podcast for you. This is Fast Forward, brought to you by Tech Manchester. We support early stage tech focused businesses. Each week, we'll dive into the issues that we know keep entrepreneurs awake at night. We'll chat to experts who'll share their tips and advice on how to handle everything from raising finance, making your first hire, to getting your company noticed on social media or in the press. Running a business is a roller coaster. It's exhilarating, but it's pretty damn scary at times too. We're here to help you get your business off the ground and hopefully get a better night's sleep. It's hosted by me, Patricia Keating, Executive Director at Tech Manchester. Standing in a tin shed, waiting for a van to come. Oh friend, have you seen where my golden tickets Welcome back to the Fast Forward podcast. It's Friday, it's dressed down, so I'm in my relaxing clothes. Um, And that's just how we're going to roll today. Now, the most common question that we get asked at Tech Manchester is about how to get investor ready. It's a really competitive marketplace out there, so how do you stand out in a sea of so many? Abigail Britnell is a recruitment industry influencer, published author, and an advocate for women in business. She has over 15 years experience in the recruitment industry and is now following her passion for investing in and facilitating recruiters that have that desire to start their own business um, as an independent recruitment business. Abigail's here to talk to me about her experience in recruitment, but also that transferable knowledge and advice that she has to help get your business investor ready, whatever the sector. Welcome, Abigail. Thank you for having me. Abigail, you've had over 15 years experience in the recruitment industry and not all of that was based in the UK. You were also in US and Spain. Um, Tell us a bit about it and um, how you ended up traveling the world, gathering your recruitment expertise. So I started off um, as just a temporaries controller um, at Brook Street in High Wycombe and I managed to build my temp desk from six to 136 temps. So obviously that kind of got me noticed within mm-hmm. the organisation. Yeah. And from there, I went on to run a multi-million pound national account. So I was responsible for over 300 placements of temporaries. And that was nationwide. That was kind of from Newcastle right down to London. So I had kind of 44 sites to manage, half of them Brook Street, half of them Empower. Um, and that gave me kind of a lot of knowledge and help with understanding how different parts of the country work, different types of recruitment, the, all that kind of um, the back office stuff as well as the front facing, yeah. you know, bringing on the clients, that kind of thing. Both equally as important. Absolutely. You know, that's that 360 role. Mm-hmm. Then again, that kind of managing the Empower account got me noticed and I was seconded over to Chicago, Boston and New York and I delivered the sales training model for Brook Street out to the Americans, basically. Nice. It was a bit of a culture shock, yeah. I'll be honest. Um, what did you find? What was the differences you came across? I think um, here in the UK, we're used to much more kind of face-to-face uh, interaction. So if you, know, you wanna, if you go into an agency, you sit down, you do your interview, you, know, you really kind of get to know the person that you're going to be placing, mm-hmm. and especially kind of with clients as well. You go out to the sites, you do the visits, and 
I mean, when I first started and I was doing industrial, I even went and did a shift in one of the factories yeah. so that I knew who who was the right person to put in this place. Yeah. But obviously in uh, in cities like Chicago, New York and Boston, it, even the types of buildings are not kind of friendly towards that. You know, you're in, a, in an office 51 floors up in Chicago. Somebody is not going to travel in and come up 51 floors. Mm. It, so it's kind of trying to make the adjustment of the same principles but in a slightly different way. But I think, um, and I mean, the recruitment industry in the US has really lately just gone huge. And did you take some of that expertise back to the UK when um, you you come full circle and how did that then adopt her into the, your, your UK practices? Well, I actually, from America, well, that was when made the decision to move to Spain and to work for myself. So I worked as, you know, self-employed, but as part of another company. And what I did then was I built teams globally. So that was kind of everywhere from Brazil to London. And that was doing all different kinds of projects. But again, at the heart of it was recruiting the right team, managing them and making sure that we were delivering on what all these different types of clients wanted. And then uh, after that, I kind of did about a year's worth of writing and blogging. Mm -hmm. And that was really interesting because I wrote on everything from kind of Winamp skins right through to, you know, um, Brexit. So <laughs> it was really varied. Oh, nice. We're definitely not going to get into Brexit <laughs> no, on this, on this show. That's a whole other show. <laughs> Hopefully there'll be some uh, clarity on that in 2020 or sometime before we die. Um, what were some of the challenges, though? Because that's like quite an interesting and brave decision, you know, to go from having this obviously skyrocketing, um, you know, um, career into taking that sort of brave step into becoming self-employed and you know so what were some of the challenges that you faced probably you wouldn't have anticipated them but no. you know when when they hit you what were they and how did you overcome them um so in the in the when you first start doing it it's really easy to stay kind of motivated but then after kind of you know the first couple of months it could be quite easy to get into like pajama syndrome, mm-hmm. which is, you know, there are always going to be days where you're going to be really busy. You get up, you make your coffee, and you go and sit in front of your computer. And before you realize it, it's like three o'clock. But mm-hmm. then there are going to be other days where you're kind of, okay, maybe I haven't been out today or I haven't been out of the house for a little bit. So I know it sounds a little bit odd, but one of the things I kind of used to do was at least one day a week put my business suit on. And Mm -hmm. I know it sounds really strange to kind of wander around the house in your business suit, but you would be massively surprised how much that changed your mindset. Yeah, no, I totally, totally buy into that. You know, we talk about it from a confidence and public speaking point of view, Mm. you know, in terms of how you dress to take on the persona of the um, the character that you want to be when you go, you know, that confident character when you go on uh, to speak, uh, present to people. So no, I totally get that. Um, so tell us a bit more about your current role. So tell us about uh, We Are SSG and um, the types of business founders you've now working with. And how did you get end up getting into that? You know, how did you go from being self-employed to now helping other people launch businesses? So I moved back from Spain in February. And whilst I was kind of doing some management consulting and things like that, this opportunity um, was given to me to be a part of We Are SSG and to be able to invest in and support and facilitate recruiters who want to go out and start their own independent agencies. It's an industry I've always loved, and by taking this role, I can help other people achieve some of the successes 
And the kind of lifestyle, the work-life balance is hugely important, especially in recruitment because a lot of the bigger companies will tie certain recruiters to their desks from 7 till 7. Mm. And one of the things that I know as a recruiter is on a Monday morning at 9 o'clock, nobody wants to talk to you. So <laughs> it's like, leave me alone, not <laughs> unless, taking your Unless call. you're doing industrial recruitment and half, <laughs> well, your, half your temps haven't turned up that day. Well, that's a completely different matter. <laughs> I have I have five years of service in industrial yeah, temps. So you know where I've got I know from. what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Normally it was a seven o'clock shift at Allied Bakeries. So oh, yeah. <laughs> or well, the five o'clock shift and you're getting the phone call at five in the morning going, oh my lord. Yeah, there's the night shifts obviously. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so they were all, they were always great fun, um, but I think uh, what was I going to say? We were talking about SSG and sort of how you got into it. Yeah, so again, that works. It's that work life balance that's really important. Um, we've got like three different, I would say, types of recruiters on our books, and I mean we're not sector specific. It's literally everything from aerospace to industrial. Um, so we've got a lot of a lot of lifestyle recruiters who just do like two to three perm placements a month. That's all they want to do. And what it does is it gives them a chance to spend time with their families. They don't have to miss nativity plays. They don't have to, you know, not go and pick their kids up from school. If their child's not well, it's not a big issue. Mm-hmm. And also we've got one particular client who on a Monday always takes his son kayaking. Because yeah. Monday, he, but he will do you know, certain calls with candidates and things on Saturday mornings. That works for him. But it's that choice of how to run your own business and be your own decision maker. Then I think the second group we've got, we would call boutique. And they're people, I guess, sort of early 40s, looking, they've probably got quite a lot of experience under their belt now. They're looking at managers, they're looking at the corporations that they're working for and thinking, look, I could definitely do this better. Mm -hmm. Um... I don't necessarily agree with the way that this is being run. And what they want to do is they want to then take their own expertise, build their own business and have, I don't know, maybe five or six recruiters working for them. Yeah. And then have that as a business that they can look to grow, manage. And and then sort of as they come to retirement age, what they've built is then part of their pension pot. Yeah. So they don't have to work till they're 67. They've taken that risk. and But what they've got, then is an environment that they've created which they would want to work in that they want to share and help other people grow within. And I guess our last category are the empire builders. (laughs) And they're always great because they want to go in, they want to go in hard, start with offices, staff, five years, exit. They want to build the business, grow, Mm. scale quick and sell. And those guys are great fun to work with because they are so... um, Ambitious? Uh, yeah, ambitious and driven and, and <clears throat> impatient, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they they really do. Hungry. Yeah, they really, really are. So being able to work with entrepreneurs from across the board is so exciting and rewarding. It's really great. So let's talk about your experience with um, Raisin Investment. Um, and I know that that experience has come from working with recruitment businesses, but this is um, advice that is transferable to any business. What would be the best place to start if you were on that kind of investment pathway and looking to raise uh, looking to raise money? What would be your first steps in your view? Well, absolutely. I mean, the, the first thing to do is to get your business plan sorted. Um, 
I see a lot of business plans come through the door and I can tell from the business plan when somebody is serious and when somebody isn't. And I guess one of the... So the, the key thing when you're doing your business plan is to understand that what you're actually putting on paper is your vision, is what do you want from your company? Why do you want to run this business? What are your motivations? And a lot of people kind of think that entrepreneurs are motivated by extrinsic motivations like, you know, power, money, these Mm -hmm. kinds of things. But that's not actually true. They're actually motivated by those intrinsic internal motivations, passion, drive, you know, the desire to succeed. And I think once you shine a light on why you really want to run your business, you can then look at how you're going to achieve it. And from that, then the money will come. But with the business plan, I think one of the most important thing is to understand your numbers. If you don't understand your numbers, and I mean something like make sure you understand the difference between profit and revenue. Because if you don't understand that, you're going to get yourself in a world of trouble and probably end up treating the company a bit like a piggy bank because you don't understand where your actual cash flow is coming from, how to reinvest back in the company. So understanding the numbers is key and also be realistic with those numbers. If you if I get a business plan on my desk and says I'm going to be earning a million pounds in a year. <laughs> well, you know, good luck. Good, good luck, but I'm not, you know, the first 3 to 3 to 6 months are going to be really difficult. Yeah. So you're not going to earn anything. You no. Know, <laughs> you need to kind of take a step back. Mm. Be realistic and understand that the first 3 to 6 months for sure is going to take a lot of drive and ambition. And that will then see you through. If you've got the wrong motivations, you're not starting from solid ground. Mm. Is the uh, is that one of the is that revenue and profit um, misunderstanding? Is that one of the common mistakes that you would see, or what? What are the sort of common mistakes that you would come across in in business plans or or uh, in, uh, entrepreneurs when you meet them? Um, I think the with the numbers. Again, I think it's just people being overambitious and not necessarily understanding, okay, so I've got this money's got to go out and I've got this money coming in, but I want to reinvest this back into the company. So it's really making sure that you understand what's coming in, where it's allocated and what's actually yours. Make sure you save for your VAT. (laughs) Make sure you put some money away for your corporation tax. Yeah. You know, it's these things that you think, oh, okay, great, I've made three placements, I've got, you know, however much based on my fees, that money's got to go to certain places. Make sure you're ready to allocate it. Um, What other um, mistakes would you see? People don't necessarily do enough research. And what I mean by that is really understanding what's in your marketplace. And that doesn't matter which product or service you're going to, you're taking to market. Mm Mm-hmm. It you know it's quite often now that it's you're going to be competing with other people, so you need to understand who is your target market. And for us, it's you know it's clients and candidates. What makes you special? And one of the things that you need to understand is okay. So if somebody's giving out a five percent rate, well, I'm not going to do that because what I have to offer is much much better. And you need to kind of understand what your what your differences are. And I think that comes from your individuality, how you work, who you are, and how you deliver yourself. I think that's really important to bring yourself to your to bring your 
personality to your brand. Yeah. It's that bringing value, isn't it? You know, what's your value? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one of the things that we find, especially with the niche recruiters, is they have these really strong networks of the right type of people because they've gone kind of, you know, inch wide, mile deep, really understanding the sector and they become experts in their field and then they become trusted. And, you know, even for some of the bigger corporations where they have these giant PSLs that, you know, you find it really hard to get get onto, the thing is if you've got the right skills and the right product to offer, then you will become an expert and people will come to you and that's building your brand. You've touched on it there a little bit about bringing that personality to your brand and you have um, talked quite extensive, extensively about bringing that individuality to the pitch Yes, um, and um, how important that is. What, how much emphasis do you investors put on the people and the focus on the people and um, what and who they're investing in? How much emphasis do they put on that? Well, the thing is, if you're going to invest in somebody, you need to trust in them. Um, you need to trust that they understand their business and what they're going to deliver. But as a person, you are kind of your own secret weapon. And I think one of the one of the things where it becomes really obvious how important it is to be individual is when you look at massively successful entrepreneurs like Richard Branson and Elon Musk and people like that. When you look at their social media following, it's their individual accounts that have the most following, whereas the company brands and things, mm-hmm. yeah, people will kind of follow that, <clears throat> but that's the secondary thing. They're interested in how did these entrepreneurs succeed? You know, how, what was their journey to success? And every time they bring out a new product or something like that, they want to understand the vision and the inspiration that the person had, not necessarily the company. And having that individual brand really does set you apart from your competitors. Now, if you're not speaking uh, confident in speaking in front of um, groups of people or even individuals, um, an introvert can be sort of filled with dread, um, even extroverts. Like I'm, you know, I wouldn't consider myself an introvert, but those those feelings of panic that bubble up inside me every time that I have to go and stand in front of a, a group of people. Um, how do you make sure that investors um, get a sense of who you are even through those those nerves? Like what would your tips be or uh, suggestions or experience in that space? Well, one of the things I find that I kind of, do before I go into a presentation or in front of a group of people is to just kind of take some deep breaths, relax, and just try not to focus so much on you, but focus on what you're offering. You know, don't worry so much about, okay, I'm going to fall over my words and things like this, because everybody does. Um, You just need to kind of focus on, this is my vision, this is what I want to bring to the table, this is where my product or my service is different from what everybody else has to offer. But take those deep breaths and remember the people you're talking to are just people like mm-hmm. you and they're there because they're interested in what you have to offer. You wouldn't be there otherwise. Yeah. That breathing's definitely uh, a big one. Yeah. You can when your nerves go and you, you're trying to get all your words on and you don't and then you're learning and you haven't actually... <sighs> And breathe. breathe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously the old sort of joke about, you know, just imagine everybody in their underwear. <laughs> I found that that just doesn't work for me. That just makes no. me want to giggle. <laughs> so I kind of just rely on the breathing exercises yeah. and just, 
you know, have a little bit of faith in what what you're bringing to the table. Yeah, believe in yourself. Yeah, what for you're, sure. What you're bringing. Yep. So what about mentors? We're very passionate about mentoring here at Tech Manchester. We've uh, got a huge um, number of business leaders in Manchester giving up their time to mentor um, the next generation of entrepreneurs here. Um, but what about in, in your view, how important are mentors throughout the process of seeking investment and even beyond? Massively important. Um, I think to be able to talk to somebody who is a few steps ahead of you the the advice and the wisdom that they can give you from the journey that they've already been on is invaluable. It's they will be able to look at certain things in a way that you might just be just slightly missing or might be looking at in a slightly different way. And I think having somebody to talk to and to talk those fears through with, and you know, what if I do this? And and they can then say, you know, I think that's a really great idea. Or maybe I like the principle of the idea, but maybe you should take a different approach. It also helps you to not feel isolated. And as an entrepreneur, it's very easy to feel isolated because you can find yourself so thrown in to work. And what you need to do is make sure you've got somebody around you who can kind of, okay, this is where I am and I'm doing and doing and doing and doing. I now need to kind of take a step back reassess and talk this through with someone so you know as part of what we do at SSG is we have mentors we have people that help our recruiters especially through through the first 100 days because it's such a big thing and you've made that Mm -hmm. transition and it's like okay I had all these plans and I was going to do this and I was going to do this it's not quite working for me what what do I do how do I change it Mm -hmm. so for me you know and I've been very lucky to have um, Sarah Ali Chowdhury has been, been my yeah, mentor. Yeah, we were talking before we came on air. Tell us about her and how did you find her? And she's been that? yeah, she's been brilliant. I mean, I went to a women in business uh, uh, conference in Farnborough, and I think it was the first one they ran this year, and it was highly successful. And all the women that I talked to um, just found it so beneficial. I saw Sarah speak, and she was talking about overcoming imposter syndrome. So it's something I've written on, but. I really, res- it, what she said resonated with me. So I kind of just sort of, I was a bit nervous, to be honest, but I kind of caught her after the talk and just said to her, look, I would, I loved what you had to say. I really, um, it really resonated with me. Do you do mentoring? And she said, yes, I do. Um, you know, so, you know, look me up on LinkedIn or, or whatever. So I did, um, we had a brief chat and she asked me about, what I was trying to achieve and how I wanted to get there. So um, that was really beneficial and really helpful. And because she comes from a different industry, your mentor doesn't have to necessarily come from the same industry because a different viewpoint is, again, invaluable, really. Yeah, no, I'd 100% agree with that. We've got quite a few uh, mentors who are not from a technical background at all. They're not from the digital industry and... Quite often they might ask to say, I don't know if I, you know, have the expertise in in that. And it's like, but the challenges that the entrepreneurs face are quite often not in the tech, but in the actual mechanics and, you know, the nuances of actually setting up a business and and growing it. And so what kind of um, advice would you give um, startups who are wanting to get investor ready right now? What would be your sort of key pieces of advice for someone to start thinking about before they get in front of those investors? So there's two things, really. One is your business plan, and the second is your pitch deck. 
So with the business plan, make sure that you've done your research, you understand your competition and that you understand your numbers. Put your vision into that piece of paper. Demonstrate who you are and what you're going to bring to the table. Make it clear, make it concise. Don't waffle, but put down what you want to deliver. Then when it comes to the actual pitch deck, the main thing I think is because you're going to be standing, you're going to be speaking, you're going to be delivering. Understand your deck and make sure that you use one theme. So (laughs) don't have all these different slides Mm. with all these different massive flying flying in in and flying out. Look at this great stuff I can do with Canva. (laughs) Nobody cares. You're just giving us all, we're all going to have You're going to give me a headache. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So make sure that you keep it, the theme is running through, that the language is clear and concise. If you, it depends where you are in your stage of investment, but if you've got anybody that's endorsed you, you've got a case study, Include those because it shows that other people trust you. And when you're going for investment, what you're looking to do is to build trust. Um, it doesn't matter how good your project or product or service is. It's down to you to to make that work and to make it run. It's going to be your business. So it's about building that trust. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, don't afraid to be individual and be creative within a certain spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> Don't go mad at the yeah. flying images. Exactly. Yeah. Really simple, sound, uh, clear advice, Abigail. And I think um, any entrepreneur can take that away and make those changes in their in their pitch decks and business plans today. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, our chat. I love hearing from different industry perspectives and uh, obviously enjoyed a little throwback to my industrial temps days. Um, hello, Liam Malone. Um, um, I hope if there are any uh, challenges or issues around pitch decks or uh, business plans, that those have been answered for you today and that will help you get a better night's sleep. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.